Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs. Happy Father's Day today. Happy Father's Day to all those dads that are out there. I always love Father's Day and celebrating fathers because, well, I'm a father. And uh, they tend to give out ice cream at church. It's one of the best church days of the year for me. Um, I always look forward to that. This week's study, uh, I'm looking forward to getting into as well. Got some great chapters to take a look at this week. Um, We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 27, Mark chapter 15, Luke chapter 23, and John chapter 19, all relatively talking and teaching about the same thing with the theme for this week, it is finished. And I love that phrase. In fact, I would highly, highly encourage you to go in and mark that particular verse. It's John chapter 19, verse 30, where after drinking vinegar, the Savior says, it is finished. And then as it's recorded, bows his head and gives up the ghost. That statement is so important and so profound and so significant. I remember one prophet referencing that in that moment, mortality ended and immortality began. And that really is what happened. That statement, it is finished, really marked the culmination of everything that the Savior came here to do and signified that it had been done. I wanted to spend just a moment here beginning uh, the beginning of this podcast, just focusing on that phrase, young people, because I, I think this is something that is in some ways being lost in the world today. The concept behind that statement, it is finished. And one of the principles I've always tried to teach my children is simply to finish whatever it is that they've started. And as I mentioned, I really feel that this is a characteristic that is slowly being lost in the world today as more and more people are just simply more quick to quit and to stop. And young people, you need to understand that if you are going to get to wherever it is that you want to get to, whether it's in a job, a career, a relationship, in school, it is going to require you to push through hard things and to finish whatever it is that you've started. And to kind of illustrate this, I want to reference a talk given by President Monson uh, several years ago, quite a while ago, titled Finishers Wanted. And in this talk, he said, On sunlit days during the noon hour, the streets of Salt Lake City abound with men and women who for a moment leave the confines of the tall office building and engage in that universal delight called window shopping. I'm pretty good at that myself. (laughs) On occasion, he said, I too am a participant. Then he said, One Wednesday I paused before the elegant show window of a prestigious furniture store. He then said that which caught and held his attention was not the beautifully designed sofa nor the comfortable appearing chair that stood at the side, and neither was it the beautiful chandelier positioned overhead. But he said, rather my eyes rested upon a small sign that had been placed at the bottom right-hand corner of the window. Its message was brief, finishers wanted. He said the store had need of those persons who possessed the talent and skill to make ready for final sale the expensive furniture that the firm manufactured and sold finishers wanted. The words remained with me as I returned to the pressing activities of the day. In referencing these words, he said, in life as in business, there has always been a need for those persons who could be called finishers. Their ranks are few, their opportunities many, their contributions great. 
From the very beginning to the present time, a fundamental question remains to be answered by each who runs the race of life. Shall I falter or shall I finish? On the answer await the blessings of joy and happiness here in mortality and eternal life in the world to come. That's one of the reasons why I love that statement that the Savior gave and made. It is finished. He finished what he came here to do. And we need to do the same. The scriptures are full of examples of men and and even some women that didn't finish what they came here to do. People like David, who started out great facing Goliath, but then faltered when he faced the temptation of Bathsheba. You have the rich young ruler who, for the most part of his life, lived all of the commandments, but then when was counseled by the Lord to give all that he possessed to the poor and then come and follow him, was not able to finish what was put before him. And then, of course, Judas, who we talked a little bit about last week, who started out amazing as an apostle, but didn't finish the course and gave in to the temptation of money to betray Christ. Well, again, young people, when it comes to life and you getting to where you want to go or achieving what you want to achieve or fulfilling the dreams that you have for yourself, adopting that mindset to finish what you start, to be a finisher, is paramount to being successful. Again, in all things life and in faith. In the book of Hebrews, there's a great verse where the Apostle Paul, a couple of great verses, where he references the race that we are running and how important it is to finish the race. He says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why? Because he's a finisher. And one of the best ways that you and I can follow him is to be a finisher ourselves. Now, aside from that, just the background associated with these chapters and a couple of the principles we'll take a look at today In every word and deed, Jesus Christ exemplified pure love. That's one of the things that we see throughout the course of his life. What the Apostle Paul called charity. At no time was this more evident than during the final hours of the Savior's mortal life. His dignified silence in the face of false accusations demonstrated that he is not easily provoked, as the scriptures say. His willingness to submit to scourging and mocking and crucifixion while restraining his power to end his torments, showed that he suffereth long and beareth all things. His compassion toward his mother and his mercy toward his crucifiers, even during his own incomprehensible suffering, revealeth that he seeketh not his own. In his final moments on earth, Jesus was doing what he had done throughout his mortal ministry, teaching us by showing us. Indeed, charity is the pure love of Christ. I thought that was a beautiful write-up and a way of looking at these final moments, in fact, uh, that is very helpful and very profound as we see the Savior really expressing what is referred to as charity, the pure love of Christ. Everything that we are working towards developing in us is leading towards us having that kind of love, that kind of charity. Another great verse I'd encourage you to mark is in Matthew 27, verse 22, when Pilate says and basically asks the question to the crowds of people that are gathered to help decide what should be done with Jesus. He simply asks, what shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? 
That's the question of questions and the question that you and I will answer really through all of our actions. What shall we do with Jesus? How can we best exemplify this love? How can we take his life, take his teachings and apply it into our life in such a way that they become a part of us, that we really do follow him by word, by example, by deed, by everything that we do? I just love asking myself that question. What shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? The answer is, express love and charity to everyone that I meet and see. That's the best thing that we can do with Christ, with Jesus. Now, from all that being said, here are three quick key principles from this week's study in Come Follow Me. Principle number one, I want to take a look at John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. This particular scripture or scriptures take place while Jesus is actually on the cross. Verse 25 reads, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. I just, I love that verse for so many reasons. Here's the Savior, once again, as always. Instead of focusing on his pain, he focuses on the pain of others. There's a great message in that for all of us. One of the things that I go to great lengths trying to teach young people when it comes to especially feeling better about oneself is the concept that the best way to feel better about yourself is to ironically help someone else feel better. I've learned that through personal experience, and in many ways, I think the Savior is just demonstrating that here and even his final moments, when again, instead of focusing on his own pain, he is focusing on the pain of others. And in particular, in this case, his mother. And that's one of the things I really wanted to to focus on, is just the love that he has for his mother. If we are to follow Christ, we need to also demonstrate that kind of love for our own mothers as well. And I love the word behold in this. The Greek translation of the word behold actually means to make sure to see or to not miss. And and here is John standing right next to Jesus's mother who is in deep pain as well. And it's almost as if the Savior is saying, please don't miss seeing this pain of this individual whom I care deeply about that is right next to you. And I wonder how often we are around people that are hurting and we miss seeing them, miss seeing the opportunity that we have to help them. And in many cases, how often are we around our own mothers and we miss seeing the needs that they have or how much help we can give them or how much love we can offer them or that they are in need of at a given moment. I really believe that one of the best ways we can follow Christ is by seeing, recognizing, and expressing love for our mothers. The prophet Joseph F. Smith once said that the love of a true mother comes near to being like the love of God than any other kind of love. And I really believe that that's true in most cases and most situations. And in fact, if if that is a, a true statement, which I believe it is, then one could also say that the way that you treat and love your mother may be the most direct comparison to how you would treat and love Heavenly Father. Kind of an interesting thing to think about. President Thomas S. Monson on one occasion said, One cannot forget mother and remember God. One cannot remember mother and forget God. Why? Because these two sacred persons, God and mother, partners in creation, love, sacrifice, service, are as one. 
Speaking on mothers as well, Elder Holland said, You see, it's not just that they bear us, but they continue bearing with us. It's not only the parental caring, but the lifelong caring that makes mothering such a staggering feat. And young people, I know that you are quickly becoming very familiar with the mothering that exists in mothers. They will mother you all through high school. They will continue to mother you through college and really through the majority of your life. And I think the aspect of this principle that I would like for each of you to remember is that despite the things that mom might do that yeah, might be a little annoying or frustrating, can you, like the Savior, behold your mom? Can you see her? Can you see the, the things that she's doing for you? Can you see her through the eyes of appreciation and not just frustration? <laughs> so a couple questions to consider to help you with this principle is, number one, when is the last time that you really took the time to see your mother, to really behold her, to really see all that she is and all that she's done for you over the years? And to help you with that, one another question to consider might be if you were to make a list of what she has done for you, how long do you think that list would be? How many pages do you think could be filled up with all of the things that she's done for you? Um, and on the flip side, if you were to make a list of all that you've done for her, how long do you think that list would be? <laughs> Hopefully, uh, be a page or two, right? Um, another question, what can you do to see your mother through the Savior's loving, compassionate, and caring eyes. And then last question, how can looking after others help us while going through our own pain? I think that's an important principle that to take away from this as well. Now, principle number two, I want to focus with this one on how to handle persecution, how to handle people that say and do things that might be hurtful or offensive to you. I know a, that happens quite a bit at your age. People will say things, uh, you'll hear things, rumors will be spread. Um, people will do things that will just hurt your feelings. That That is really a, a part of growing up and being a teenager is learning how to, to face those things and handle those kinds of things. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 9, and in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, we get a couple of great statements and principles about how to best deal with these kinds of things. In Luke chapter 23, verse 9, when Pilate is accusing him, trying to find fault with him, uh, when other uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees had done that early, earlier uh, in the day with, with Christ, we see how he really handles it in just one simple statement. When it says, but he answered him nothing. And then in verse 34, after being nailed to the cross and going through all the things that he did, being and having done unto him by the Romans, he says in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do two great concepts. And the first one I want to take a look at is the ability and the, the quality of being able to learn to hold and even control our tongue. Our tongue or the things that we say can really impact another person for good or for bad. In fact, I remember while watching Harry Potter, I think it was uh, Dumbledore that uh, said on one occasion that it was our words that were our most inexhaustible source of magic that we have the power to say things that could cause pain or, or bring remedy to people's pain. And, and that's really a, a true concept. In fact, James in the Bible talks a lot about the significance of learning to control our tongue when he said, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. How great a matter a little fire kindleth. Referencing that although it seems like a little thing, it leads to big things, especially when it's not tempered in the right way. 
And I wanted to share with you just an experience that the Prophet Joseph had, who knew a thing or two about uh, rumors being spread about him, lies, gossip, all those kinds of things that occasionally you might deal with. And one day there was a sister that uh, approached him just asking for his advice, uh, who had had some things said about her and was really irate and upset about him, didn't know what to do about him. And his answer was absolutely profound. And I've, I've loved it and I've used it multiple times throughout my life whenever people have, have said things about me. The quote comes from a man by the name of Jesse Crosby uh, that was cited in a book called They Knew the Prophet. And it uh, goes like this, that one day he said, I went to the prophet with a sister and that she had a, a charge to make against one of the brethren for a scandal. When her complaint had been heard, the prophet asked her if she was quite sure that what the brother had said of her was utterly untrue. She was quite sure that it was. He then told her to think no more about it, for it could not harm her. If untrue, it could not live. But it's the truth that will survive. She still felt that she should have some redress. Then he offered her his method of dealing with such cases for himself. And this is the principle. He said, when an enemy had told a scandalous story about him, which had often been done, before he rendered judgment, he paused and let his mind run back to the time and place and setting of the story to see if he had, not by some unguarded word or act, laid the block on which the story was built. If he found that he had done so, he said that in his heart he then forgave his enemy, and felt thankful that he had received a warning of a weakness that he had not known he possessed. Then he said to the sister that he would have her do the same, search her memory thoroughly, and see if she had not herself unconsciously even laid the foundation for the scandal that annoyed her. The sister thought deeply for a few moments and then confessed that she believed she had. Then the prophet told her that in her heart she could forgive that brother who had risked his own good name and her friendship to give her this clear view of herself. The sister thanked the advisor and went away in peace. And I just love that concept. When somebody says something about us, or we hear of rumors or lies or gossip that might be hurtful, it's, it's great counsel and advice to search back in our lives uh, to the, the time that maybe that was referenced, to, to try to see if we hadn't done something or said something that kind of laid the foundation for that particular thing to be said about us. And if so, to forgive uh, whoever it is that said it and just be thankful that we recognize the weakness in ourselves that maybe we didn't know that we had. But if on the other hand, whatever had been said is not true, then to just let it go. Because lies cannot live. Only truth is what will live in the end. And again, that is just great counsel and advice and something that the Savior was so good at. He rarely confronted anyone, especially when they were accusing him of things that just weren't true. He just would leave it alone. Now, in terms of forgiveness, right, that the concept of Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There are principles of forgiveness that each of you would do well to know and to learn and to understand. And one of the things that I have found has helped me to, to give forgiveness a little bit more easily is to try to understand a little bit better where people are coming from. There are, are some key principles that the Lord gives throughout Scripture to help us learn to judge another person correctly. It's not that we're not supposed to judge. Sometimes you'll hear people say that, don't judge me. But the truth is, we are meant to judge. We make judgments every single day of our lives. 
And especially when it relates to people and relationships that we have, we need to be careful of those uh, that we allow into our lives and we make judgments on them. However, we can make better judgments by following some of the principles that the Lord has outlined for us. Number one is when it comes to judging another person, the Lord says that he looketh on the heart, that he doesn't see man or judge man by the outward appearance, which we tend to do. He looks on the heart. And unfortunately, the only way for us to do that is by giving time to be able to understand what's really going on in a person's life. It takes time. So the best thing we could do is not rush to judgment. As an example, say that uh, you were driving the, the dream car of your life down a, a road that was just a dirt road. You're able to go as fast as, as you wanted and you could, and you're just having this incredible experience in this car. And as you're driving, you notice a little boy uh, along the side of the road who bends down and picks up a rock. And just as you are passing him, he throws the rock at the car, smashing the windshield. Well, of course, you slam on your brakes. And I would always ask my students when telling them this story, what would you do if you were the driver? And without fail, everybody was like, oh man, I am getting out and I am pounding that kid. I am yelling, I am screaming, I'm grabbing my golf clubs in the back, I'm chasing him <laughs> down, I'm going to hurt him. I said, okay, I get that, that's pretty natural. But what if when you get to him to do all those things, you notice that he's crying and you pause for a moment, just long enough for him to say, mister, I'm so sorry that I hit your car with that rock. I, I, my brother is in the field. He's been injured. I need help. He needs help desperately. I just didn't know how else to get your attention. Could you please help us? Now, when I would tell them that part of the story and then ask what they were thinking or how they would feel or how they would respond, boy, everything changes. Why? Nothing really changed about the situation other than they gave enough time to understand why somebody did what they did. That's the only way we could really learn to see what's going on in another person's heart and what's going on in their lives. The other aspect is in the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord mentions that he suits his mercies or he gives his mercies according to the conditions of the children of men. In other words, he takes close look at the circumstances whenever he renders mercy or judgment. And I think it's important for us to do the same. I once had a student in class that was, or actually it was a friend of mine, I take that back, that had a student in his class that was absolutely horrific. Just a terrible student, always disruptive, always hard to, to teach a class with him in it. And at one point, he just wanted to get the student kicked out of the class because it he felt was really bringing the entire class down, the comments he made, the disruption. Well, he had the opportunity to talk to that student's parents on the parent-teacher night as they came in. And boy, he was ready. He was ready to just let them know what a terrible student that this the student had been and, and how much work needed to be done to correct his behavior. Well, before he had a chance to say any of that, the parents started off the conversation this way, just saying, we just first of all wanted to thank you for being patient with this particular student, that he is uh, was adopted, but that he grew up in Russia in an orphanage. As a part of that orf orphanage, he was treated terribly. Um, he was just terrible things done. I won't go into the details, but that he has been really crying out for attention ever since because he was so abused and attention deficit uh, really been neglected all those years while growing up. Well, all of a sudden, my friend's perception and his attitude towards this student changed. Why? Just because he came to understand the circumstances a little bit better behind 
perhaps some of the cause for the behavior. And then lastly, the, the, the great example of the Savior with the woman who was brought to him in adultery, the two things that he taught through that particular story is one, don't condemn others for their sins when you have plenty yourself. <laughs> when he said that he that is without sin, let him cast the first stone, right? And they all dropped their stones because, well, they were all guilty of sin themselves. And they recognized we don't have much of a place to accuse someone else when we ourselves are, are guilty as well. And the last thing that he pointed out to that woman when he asked, where are thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? To which she said, no, Lord, no man hath condemned thee. And to which he says, well, then neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way and sin no more. The idea in that principle, that statement, is condemnation tends to be a final judgment. It's very, it's condemning means that that's kind of the final state of that person. And the time for her, even though she was guilty of sin, to be condemned was not then. There was still opportunity to change, to improve, to repent, and to grow. We often are so quick to condemn others. We rush to judgment in that way. That, and we label people. They are a liar. They're a terrible person. They're a cheater. They're all these, these things. And we don't give them space to change. We don't give them space to improve and to grow. And so one of the things we can learn to do is to not be condemning. Yes, somebody might have made a mistake, but that doesn't mean that they are a mistake. And in understanding all those things, especially for you young people, as you go through some pretty difficult relationship experiences really throughout your life, those principles can help you, especially when it comes to being more patient and forgiving with other people. Somebody once said that withholding forgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. And it really is true. Forgiveness really isn't about the other person. It's about you. And it's about letting go of the anger and the hurt and all of the things that can really suppress the spirit in your life. And and hopefully those principles can help you a little bit. The next time somebody says or does something that hurts you, that offends you, um, that uh, you'll have the capacity and the ability to work through that pain, to offer forgiveness, to let go of those things that are said about you that aren't true and to allow all of it to just remain with God and to trust him that in the end everything will be okay. And I think those are those are some great principles that you can pull out of your study this week as you go through and, and look for how the Savior responds to persecution and to these things that are being done to him in the most difficult of, of ways and the most difficult point in, in time of his life. A couple key questions for you to consider on on this topic is number one, has anyone ever said anything bad about you that wasn't true? <laughs> I first want to get your mind to those times and places where these things have happened to you because I know that they have. Number two, how did you handle it then? Number three, how would you handle it differently now that you understand some of these principles or have been reminded of them? Another question, how can Joseph's counsel about how to deal with rumors and gossip and lies help you to handle things differently the next time somebody says something about you that isn't true or that that hurts your feelings? Um, Or how has your life been blessed through the principle of forgiveness? Who have you struggled to forgive? Who are you struggling to forgive now? And how can the Savior help you to offer forgiveness without expecting anything in return as you come to understand that forgiveness is about you, it's not about them? And the last question, how have you seen other lives blessed and relationships healed 
from the principle of forgiveness. Boy, I think those are some great things to consider and contemplate in going through that principle. Now, the last principle to take a look at, and we'll go through this one rather quickly, principle three, has to do with the words of prophets and scriptures. One of the things that the authors of the Gospels did in writing all of these events is Matthew in particular made sure to make a point that whenever there was a particular event in the Savior's life, that he found a a way to tie it back to a prophecy that was made by a prophet. He wanted to make sure to show that Christ was, in fact, the one that had been prophesied about all throughout the history prior. And John did much of the same way in, in referencing how the scriptures were fulfilled through the different things that the Savior did and accomplished. Both these authors wanted to show the significance of prophets and their words. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 9, uh, the reference is, Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet. Uh, Matthew 27, 35, That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. John 19, 28, That the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. John 19, 36, For these things were done, that the scripture should be fulfilled. Again, they wanted to show the significance of prophets, especially when it comes to to coming unto Christ, to finding him, to seeing him, to accessing him, that prophets are one of the key ways that God has orchestrated for us to accomplish that, to do that. President Ezra Taft Benson gave a wonderful talk that I would encourage each and every one of you to read at some point and to read often, simply titled, The 14 Fundamentals of Following a Prophet. In that talk, he said, to help you pass the crucial tests which lie ahead, I am going to give you today several facets of a grand key, which, if you will honor them, will crown you with God's glory and bring you out victorious in spite of Satan's fury. Now, that's a bold statement. That's a powerful statement, an important statement. I'm going to give you today several facets of a grand key, which will basically bring you and give you all that God has in store for you. Well, he alludes or actually defines what that key is in the very next uh, paragraph when he says, Soon we will be honoring our prophet on his 85th birthday. As a church, we sing the song, We Thank Thee, O God, for a prophet. Here then is the grand key. Follow the prophet. And I know I've referenced this before. I just I will continue to because I'm just such a strong believer in it. All of the scriptures that I've studied over the years as a seminary teacher, just in personal study, when I've looked at it through the eyes of the importance of a prophet, have just screamed out loud of their importance and their significance in God's plan for each and every one of us. Story after story, in fact, almost every story in scripture is a testament to what happens when we follow a prophet or when we don't. Almost every story. I challenge you to think of one that that doesn't teach something about the importance of of following a prophet and being blessed or rejecting them and suffering. That is just a fundamental core of all of Scripture. And so I, I want you to understand again, just impress on your mind a little bit once more, the significance and the importance of following the prophet. And as another kind of a side note with this, in the church, this is an interesting thing for you to consider. We refer to prophets as... Uh, a prophet, seer, and revelator, which, and I love that that terminology. In the Doctrine and Covenants, however, the Lord actually refers to them as 
in a different order. And I think the order is significant. When Joseph was appointed as the prophet of the church, when the church was organized, in uh, the Doctrine and Covenants, he said, Behold, there shall be a record kept among you, and in it thou, referencing Joseph, shall be called a seer, a translator, a prophet. The prophet wasn't mentioned until the very end. The very first thing that he was to be known as was a seer. And I just think that is an important concept and aspect to recognize and remember when it comes to understanding the importance of a prophet. I love thinking of them as seers. What does it mean to be a seer? Well, there's plenty of stories in scripture of the importance of having a watchman on the watchtower to recognize things and to see things that we can't, to warn us of things that we can't see. Great example of a prophet as a watchman on the tower is the word of wisdom. Back when it was revealed, there was no science backing the significance of you know, the health um, implications of tobacco or alcohol or, or uh, eating too much meat or any of these kinds of things. Yet a prophet saw exactly what we would be dealing with long before we ever did and the conspiring designs that would exist and do exist in the hearts of men, especially in the last days. And so he warned us of that. That's what prophets do. I remember when the proclamation of the family came out, thinking, well, hey, this is nice. Um, I can't imagine why we really need this emphasis. The church is already pretty family-centered and just seems to be kind of uh, preaching to the choir here. Well, then a short time after, we start seeing all of the confusion surrounding marriage and gender and all these kinds of things. And then it just makes sense. Prophets saw exactly what would be coming and what we'd be dealing with long before we did and have tried to warn us about it. In the book of Moses, Enoch is referred to as a seer, and he goes about doing great things and beholding things which were not visible to the natural eye, which again is what a seer does. They can see things that we can't, which is why it's so important that we listen to them. Noah was able to see a flood coming long before it ever came, and if the people had trusted him as a seer, they would have been able to get on the boat, right? Um, but this is an interesting statement or part of a, a verse. I think it's in verse 39 of Moses 6, where those people that didn't recognize the value of a prophet referred to Enoch as a wild man. It says, uh, there is a strange thing in the land. A wild man hath come among us. And I want you to watch out for that. You will hear people refer to prophets as old, as crazy. I don't know, maybe wild will be the word that will come to mind. But uh, definitely just different and and old and outdated. They'll say things that will kind of demean their significance and their importance to us. And I just want to emphasize to you yet one more time, as both Matthew and John did and so many others in Scripture, the importance and significance of following a prophet and recognizing the value that prophets have for each and every one of us. If you want questions answered in your life on different subjects or or problems that you have, look to the words of prophets. They are there. You can find a talk on almost anything that you need help with in your life. Search for prophets' words. Remember, as the prophet Nephi said, the words of Christ, you know, search the words of Christ, for behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. Well, guess where you can find the words of Christ best? From the words of prophets. Whether by the mouth of my own voice or the voice of my servants, it is the same. So a couple questions for you to consider with this one. 
Number one, how can you make following the prophet more of a priority in your life? Another question, how can you do better to hear his voice and study his words, speaking of the prophet? Um, another question, how have others referred to our prophet in a similar way as uh, the prophet Enoch was in his day, referring to him as a wild man? Have you heard of different ways that people kind of disregard or disrespect even a little bit uh, our prophet? Uh, another question, what do you think the value is in looking at a prophet as a seer as well as a revelator or just prophet? Um, another question, what counsel has come from a prophet that you've received that has blessed your life? Another question, how do prophets and the scriptures point us to Christ? That is their mission. That is their goal. And above all else, that's what they do. And we need to see and recognize that. It's not about following just the prophet. It's about following the prophet so we can get to Christ. Um, last question, how is your faith in Christ increased from listening to our prophet and from reading the scriptures? Now, just one last thought. I just want to mention this, especially for those that struggle with loneliness, which is one of the worst things to experience, and it really is rampant in the world. I am amazed in working with young people how often these young people I work with reference the fact that one of the biggest struggles they have is feeling alone, not feeling connected, not feeling like they have any friends. How easy it is for, for you guys to be surrounded by people yet feeling completely alone. That is one of the struggles in the world that we live in today. A lot of this connection that is happening, we're more connected than ever, but a lot of this connection is surface level. And so it's not fulfilling the needs that you have for connection, which is why you feel alone. Even the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. He doesn't want us to be. And I want you to understand that Jesus knows what it feels like to be alone. Jesus had to know how we would feel in every way, even when it comes to being alone. So while on the cross... He was cut off entirely from God's presence and spirit, a first for him. And I think it came to him as a complete shock, which is why he cried out, Father, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? He had to know what it would feel like to be completely alone and cut off, not only from others, but from God as well, and did not have the spirit with us, which sometimes will experience immortality. Jesus experienced complete and utter loneliness and abandonment, however, so that we will never fully have to. As Elder Holland once said, because Jesus walked such a long, lonely path, utterly alone, we do not have to do so. Trumpeted from the summit of Calvary is the truth that we will never be left alone nor unaided, even if sometimes we may feel that we are. And I just love that thought. Now, in conclusion, President Monson, back to his talk, Finishers Wanted, he, and I would encourage you to read this talk as well, but he, he gave the marks of a finisher, and we won't take the time to go into each one. I think just stating it says quite a bit about it. But he says, if we are really to become a finisher, like Christ is and was, that we need to develop the mark of vision, being able to see the end, having a vision of what we want to do and to accomplish and to be. We need to have the mark of effort to never give up, to keep going until we get what we want, until we accomplish what we set out to do, until we get to where we want to go. We need to have the mark of faith to believe, really truly believe that all things are possible. We need to have the mark of virtue. 
as the scriptures say, let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly, and then shall thy confidence wax strong. One of the greatest source of confidence in our lives to be able to be a finisher, to have the confidence that we can finish, is to live a virtuous life and to allow virtue uh, to, to govern our life and our thoughts. And then last, or no, not lastly, but also the mark of courage, having the courage to face hard things, to push through hard things, to know that we can do hard things. And lastly, the mark of prayer, calling upon God to help and to assist, to bless and to lift and to support us as we go through our mission. And in having those marks, we too, like Christ, can become a finisher. President Monson gave a great talk on that and uh, encourages all of us to be a finisher and to trust that God has all of us, all of our finish in mind, which is why he's referred to as the author and finisher of our faith. He wants to finish our story for us if we allow him to, if we trust him with the pen to our story, he will. In uh, President Monson's talk, he references a poem by an unknown author that simply says, stick to your task till it sticks to you. Beginners are many, but enders are few. Honor, power, place, and praise will always come to one who stays. Stick to your task till it sticks to you. Bend at it, sweat at it, smile at it too. For out of the bend and the sweat and the smile will come life's victories after a while. (laughs) I love that statement. Finishers wanted, you guys. The Lord needs us to finish what we've started. The Lord needs us to finish His work, to finish our work. And I know that with God's help, each and every one of you that are listening can become finishers of your story, of your faith, of your life in powerful ways, in blessing not only yourself, but in blessing all those around you as well. Remember, as always, that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. And this has nothing to do with earthly wealth, with power or prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness, is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, the abundant life, and he invites us all to come follow me and to finish what we start. So let's follow him better this week and become better as we follow him. Until next week, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Have a great week of study. I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.